This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. I'd like for you to take God's Word and go with me into the New Testament to the book of Acts. Acts chapter number 2, and we've been looking at recent weeks at the thought of just getting back to the basics of the church, and we looked at the basics of the church and how that uh, the Lord's presence is among us when we meet together, uh, how that his plan uh, is one that we should carry out. So we saw the Lord's presence among us and the the Lord's plan for us, and then we looked at the thought of concerning the Lord's power through us. That's the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And then we looked at the first message of uh, the New Testament church, the first sermon that was recorded, and that was the sermon that Peter preached. And uh, we looked at getting back to the basics of biblical preaching. But now as we come to Acts chapter number 2 and verse number 41, we get a glimpse inside this church at Jerusalem. We get a glimpse inside of it. And um, I want you to think about this. Perhaps as you drove uh, to church today, no doubt many of you passed other churches. Many buildings, many church buildings dot the landscape of our nation. Uh, and, And as we pass them, As we look at them, do you ever wonder what it's like inside those buildings? I'm not talking about necessarily what it looks like, but who are the people there? What do they believe? What do they teach? How do they treat one another? Uh, What what is that church like? And uh, I've often wondered about that as I've passed by places. And uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity that God has given me to grow up in a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. I'm grateful that God called me to serve him in ministry. I'm thankful for all those who have invested in my life. I'm thankful now for the opportunity and privilege to serve here in Hickory, North Carolina as your pastor uh, and to be a part of the most special uh, thing (laughs) the world will ever know Uh, outside of the Lord himself is his church. And uh, I'm thankful that that God has blessed our church and given us a wonderful church. And uh, we thank the Lord for that. And uh, I I know that we're not perfect, we're far from it, but I wish that many, many other churches had what what I believe God has given us. And uh, the, the commitment to God's word and the commitment to his truth and the commitment to serving him. But even though I believe that is true, I definitely think there are many uh, things that we as a church family could do much better. And I I think that uh, God has has great things for us uh, here in Hickory, in this community. He has great things for us to do. And as we think about these churches that, that dot the landscape of our land, 
uh, we won't have always an opportunity to go inside of them and to meet the people and to hear what is preached and taught. But we do have an opportunity this morning to go inside the church at Jerusalem and to get to know the people and to see what is happening. And so I want you to notice with me in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 41, the Bible says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. I want you to notice twice in this passage we find a word. It is the word daily. Notice it again, if you would please, in verse number 46. And they continuing, say it with me, daily. And then again in verse number 47, as we come to the last sentence in the verse, the Bible said, and the Lord added to the church, say it with me, daily. You see, oftentimes when we pass a church on a Sunday or even in some occasions on a Wednesday night, we see cars in the parking lot. We see people with Bibles in their hands, and they're walking into uh, the church building. And uh, if we're not careful, we, we can begin to think that the church just has a one-day-a-week or maybe a two-day-a-week ministry. But what we find as we go inside the church at Jerusalem is that this church is a daily church. And that's what I want to speak to you on this morning. I want to speak to you on the subject of the daily church, the daily church. And that does not mean that necessarily we have meetings here every day. What it means is that the people who comprise the church, and that's what the church is. The church is not the building. The church is not the property. The church is the people. We are the church. The word church literally means assembly. It is the assembly of the believers. And as we're going to find out in these verses, we're going to find out what constitutes a member of the church and the assembly. But we see that this church was a daily church. And so what does it mean to be a daily church? And uh, we're going to find these truths as we look together. Now, we're going to find out, first of all, that a daily church is a growing church. A daily church is a growing church. Now, there's nothing wrong. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, we live in a day where some have become critical of any church desire to grow. But the Bible teaches us that a healthy, spirit-filled, Bible-preaching church will be a growing church. Now, there are two ways that we're going to find that this church grew. They grew, number one, in number as they were multiplied, and they grew, number two, in stature as they matured. So number one, we're going to see this church as a growing church, and uh, we see that it multiplied. Now, notice again in verse number 41. 
Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them. Can you imagine this now? About 3,000 souls. At the preaching of Peter, 3,000 people put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse number 42, uh, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in breaking of bread and in prayers. So we find that this group, this, these, this group of believers, uh, they came to know the Lord as their Savior, and the church grew from a number of about 120 uh, to about a number of, of, of 3,120. Can you imagine what that congregation would have looked like? 3,120? Now, in Acts chapter 4, in verse number 4, the Bible tells us that Peter and John had gone up and they had preached, uh, they'd gone up to preach, rather, at the temple, and they saw the lame man who was begging at the beautiful gate who asked alms, and Peter and John said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And so here's the lame man that everybody knew because they had passed by him for years. All of a sudden, in the name of Jesus, he's been healed. He's standing up. He's walking and leaping and praising God, and everyone sees this happening. So they gather around Peter, and Peter said, don't look upon us like we did this. This miracle was done in the name of Jesus. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 4 and verse number 4, if you look there with me, how be it many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of just the men now, the number of the men was about 5,000. Now, this is a growing church, is it not? 120 become 3,120. 3,120 become 8,120 plus because the Bible tells us the number of men were about 5,000. This church is a growing church. But now imagine what it looked like. There was no building. They had no auditorium. They had no classrooms. There was no fellowship hall. There was no choir. There was no nursery. There were no programs. They just had Jesus, and he's enough. Amen? They had the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, and he's enough. They didn't even have a full New Testament, just the Old Testament scriptures. And they had one another. You see, what we find out here is that the church cannot be confined to a building. It cannot be confined to one meeting. It cannot be confined to one day. And it cannot be confined to a particular time in that one day. This church was a growing church as it multiplied in number. And these all became members of this church. The Bible said they that, that received his word were baptized and the same day were added unto them, verse 41, about 3,000 souls. They gladly received his word. That means they put their faith and trust in Jesus. They heard the message of the gospel and they received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. After doing so, the Bible says they were then 
baptized. They followed the Lord Jesus in believers' baptism. And the same day there were added unto them. Now, that's an important statement. There were added unto them. Added unto whom? Added unto the group of the believers. Added unto the church. How does someone become a member of a church? They become a member of the church when they give a clear profession of their personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They become a member of the church when they're willing to submit to the ordinance of baptism and identify publicly with the Lord Jesus Christ and his church and the body of doctrine that church teaches. And here we find this church was a growing church that went from 120 to 3,120 overnight. You see, a going church will be a growing church. A going church will be a growing church. And I think personally for us in our church situation at this moment, where our auditorium is full and we're very comfortable with what we see happening, I wonder if we have have tried to set perhaps in our mind a limit on what God wants to do through us. Well, we've got a full building, we should be happy. We've got a full choir, we should be happy. We have, we have beautiful music, we should be happy. Really, what does the Lord desire for this church? I, I don't find much about buildings. I, I don't find much about uh, all of those things that we mentioned, and I think all of those things are important, and I think all of those things are essential. But I do find that the church, if it's going to grow, has to be a going, healthy church. And that going is not done by me necessarily, although I need to be doing it. It's not done by our staff or by our deacons or particularly by our Sunday school teachers, although all of them ought to be doing it. If this church is going to be a going church, then that means every member of this church, every person who is a part of this church ought to be involved in the going. We ought to arm ourselves with gospel literature. We ought to be telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to be sharing our testimony and talking about him and what he's done. We ought to be proclaiming the message of the gospel. And when we proclaim the message of the gospel, people will come to know Jesus. The question I have for my own life and, my own, and for our church is, are we experiencing that growth? Are we seeing souls saved? Are we seeing the baptismal waters disturbed? And are we content with what we see? Now, humanly, we cannot work that up. We cannot produce that. But here's what we know, that if we do what God has called us to do in the power of his spirit, that God will add to the church daily such as should be saved. Spurgeon wrote, God will not cause his children to be born where there are none to nurse them. He will be sure not to send converts to churches which do not want them. He will not have his lambs snarled over as if they were so many young wolves and kept out in the cold by months together to see whether they will howl or bleat. He's talking about the person that kind of looks down their nose and says, I don't know if those people are really saved. Let's just see. Uh, Spurgeon said that kind of attitude, God will never bless. He will never send converts to a church that will not care for his lambs. 
Here's what he says. He says, he loves to see his people watchful for new converts and watchful over them. The good shepherd would have us feed his lambs, gather them in from the cold field of the world, and carry them to some warm, sheltered place and nurture them for him. When he sees a church ready to do that, then will he send them his lambs, but not till then. Are you willing to sit by people who don't look like you? Are you willing to embrace them in your arms? This past week when we had the memorial service for this young man, there were many troubled young people in our congregation, in our building. The marks of sin and drug addiction were apparent on their bodies and their countenances. And Brother Hickman said to me, it would have been good for our whole church to see this. I was thinking the same thing. Do we welcome? Do we open our doors? Do we receive such people? Jesus does. Jesus went to the sinners. Jesus went to the publicans. And by the way, we, we, we might be proud of where we have arrived, but let me tell you, we're sinners too. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I have an uncle who's in the hospital. He had a stroke. As long as I've known him, he's been under the bondage of alcohol. He went to the hospital, suffered a stroke. As far as we know, he laid in his house for at least two days because there was nobody there who could give him attention. He could not get to a phone. And the only way he finally got my other uncle who lives near him to help him is he was hitting the alarm on his key fob. We finally got him to the hospital, found out he suffered a stroke. I had a friend go by there yesterday and lead my uncle to the Lord. Amen. Years of prayer, others who've witnessed. But what he needed was somebody who loved him and would pray for him and who would go to him with a message. And do you know we live in a world that is perishing? And people can't get the help they need. They don't know where to turn. They don't know who to look to. May God help us to hear their cries and to go to them with the gospel and to see souls saved. And let's not put a limit on what God wants to do in his church. And so we see this church this daily church is a growing church. It is growing because it's going. It is multiplying. But then we see, secondly, this church, as it is growing because it's multiplied, we see that it is growing because it is maturing. It is a maturing church. 
Uh, notice what the Bible says, again in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 41. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Notice what the Bible says about this group. They, what's the next word, church? And they, what, verse 42? Continued. And how did they continue? Steadfastly. The word continued, and and team with the word steadfastly here, means to endure. It means to tarry. It means to remain somewhere, to continue steadfastly with someone to cleave faithfully to someone, referring to those who continually insist on something or stay close to someone. You see, these believers, they didn't just come in, make a profession, and go never to be seen again. They didn't just come in until the hard times came and then leave. No, they came into the church loving the Lord Jesus, trusting in him, and they made a commitment to him and to his church, and they continued steadfastly. Aren't you glad that they did not stop? They did not cease in the midst of opposition, though in the face of intimidation and persecution, though they suffered internally from those who made pretense or those who murmured against them or from false teachers or because of strife, or because of contention, or because of disagreement, though they faced all of that externally and within the context of the church, they faced difficulties. They did not quit. They did not come apart from one another. They continued steadfastly. We've been studying in our Wednesday night discipleship groups the disciplines of a godly man with the men and the disciplines of a godly woman. In his book, The Disciplines of a Godly Man, Kent Hughes writes concerning marriage. He says, marriage can never produce the security, satisfaction, and growth that it promises unless there is commitment. He said, this is why today's provisional live-in arrangements are coming up short. Commitment through good and bad times is what makes a marriage grow and brings the greatest fulfillment On the most elementary level, you do not have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, haven't you heard a lot of people say that? He goes on to say, but you don't have to go home to be married either. But in both cases, if you do not, you will have a very poor relationship. Uh, Hughes speaks of what he calls ecclesiastical hitchhikers. He says, church attendance is infected with a malaise of conditional loyalty which has produced an army of ecclesiastical hitchhikers. The hitchhiker's thumb says, you buy the car, pay for the repairs, upkeep and insurance, fill the car with gas, and I'll ride with you. But if you have an accident, you're on your own, and I'll probably sue. So it is with the credo of many of today's church attenders. You go to meetings, you serve... They say this. They say, in other words, he's saying this is their mentality. You go to the meetings and serve on the boards and committees. You grapple with the issues. You do the work of the church and pay the bills, and I'll come along for the ride. But if things don't suit me, I'll criticize, complain, and probably bail out. My thumb is always out 
for a better ride. He says, this putative loyalty is fueled by a consumer ethos, a McChristian mentality, which picks and chooses here and there to fill one's ecclesiastical shopping list. So today, at the end of the 20th century, we have a phenomenon unthinkable in any other century, churchless Christians. There's a vast herd of professed Christians who exist as nomadic hitchhikers without accountability, without discipline, without discipleship, living apart from the regular benefit of the ordinances. What is he saying? He's saying what the Bible says. If you're a Christian, if you've been saved, follow the Lord in believer's baptism and belong to a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. And don't just be a part of it, be active in it. Love it, continue steadfastly. And so they continued now as they multiplied, and they continued as they, or they grew rather, as they multiplied, and they grew rather as they matured. And so now see how they matured. Notice, if you would, what the Bible says here in verse 41. Acts chapter number 2 and verse number 42, rather. And they continued steadfastly. They didn't give up. They didn't quit. They stayed with it day after day. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. What is doctrine? Doctrine is, a, is our, that, that means these are our beliefs and our teachings, what we believe. And what are they doing? They're continuing in the apostles' doctrine. They're coming to the services, to the meetings, and they're hearing the word proclaimed. They're hearing the message of God's word preached. And so may God help us, if we're going to come to maturity, then we have to continue in doctrine. Alexander McLaren, when he preached from this passage, said, Now, dear friends, ask yourselves the question very earnestly. Does this desire of fuller Christian knowledge at all mark my Christian character? And does it practically influence my Christian conduct in life? In other words, do you as a believer desire to know more of God's Word? Are you willing to enter into a deeper study? Are you willing to be faithful to Sunday school? Are you willing to, to prepare your heart and your mind for the truths and take home the, the handbooks and, and, and the, the handouts and, and use the devotionals that, that are offered to you as a member of our church? Are you willing to read the Scriptures? Are, are you willing to come to church and learn the truths of God's Word and, and grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord? That is how a church matures in the apostles' doctrine. Notice something else, and fellowship, in fellowship. Fellowship speaks of that which is common among us, that which is common. What do we have in common? I mean, we've got a diverse group of people here, different personalities and different likes and different temperaments and, and, and different backgrounds and, and, and different tastes. And, and, and different ways of thinking about how things ought to be done. So how is it that all of this group can come together and hold together? Because we have fellowship. Uh, Spurgeon wrote, wrote here concerning this. He said, what is meant is that these 3,000, as was most natural, cut off altogether from their ancient associations, finding themselves at once separated by a great gulf from their nation." and its hopes and its religions were driven together as sheep are when wolves are prowling around. 
You see, when they put their faith and trust in Jesus, he cost them something. They had to say goodbye to their former life. They had to say goodbye to all that they knew. Their whole entire religious system, uh, they had to say goodbye to that because they had come to know Jesus as their Savior. And friend, when we come to know Jesus as our Savior, our hope is not in this world. We are no longer of this world. We are citizens of heaven. And we come together as a group of people who have fellowship, commonality together. And Spurgeon said, they, being individually weak, held on by one another so that many weaknesses might make a strength and glimmering embers raked together might break into a flame. Do you know what he's saying? We need each other. We need each other. There are people right now in our church going through illness. You know what they need? They need you. They need your prayers. They need your support. There are people who are going through situations in their personal lives that they're not willing to speak of, but nevertheless, they're dealing with, and they need encouragement, and they need hope. There are people who have trouble with their children, and, and they think, there's no hope for me. And many of you have been through that, and you've seen God work in the lives of your children, and you need to help them. You need to encourage them. You see, we build up one another. We love one another. There are couples who are struggling perhaps in their marriage, and they think, I don't know if this thing's going to work out, and they need to hear from you. They need somebody who will love them and encourage them. They need somebody who in their their dark times will shed the light of God's truth in their souls yet again and encourage them. That's what a church does. That's why it's important to be part of a church. That's why it's important to have your family in church. That's why it's important to be faithful in church. Our fellowship. And then we see in breaking of bread, the observance of the Lord's Supper. They remembered what Jesus did for them. You remember the words of Jesus, this do ye as oft as you do it in remembrance of me. It's a time of self-examination. It's a time where we're reminded of the sacrifice that Jesus made. It puts in our heart a deeper love for him. And then they continued last of all in prayers. This church ought to be a praying church. I'm not talking about what we do behind this pulpit. I'm talking, although it should be done more behind this pulpit, but it ought to be done in your life, in your home, as you interact with each other. We need to pray one for another, bearing one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. You see, this church, this daily church, was a growing church. It grew in two ways. It multiplied and it matured. Secondly, we see that the daily church not only is a growing church, but it's a giving church. Notice, if you would, please, in verse 43, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. Now, here we find that, that when, the, the, when the, the converts were made, when these lost people came to Jesus, the Spirit of God came to dwell in them, it made a difference in their lives. They recognized that they were together. They were together. They were united by a common purpose, and they had all things 
common, and therefore sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. So here they are, together in reverence and fear of the Lord, together in the same place, together with the same purpose, uh, they hold all things common. These were people who were giving. Now Spurgeon points out, and I think it's important for us to note this, they were not communists, they were Christians. And the difference between a communist and a Christian is this. A communist says, all yours is mine. While a Christian says, all mine is yours. And that is a very different thing. You see, here's what we find about the hearts of these people who who made up this church, is that not only were they a growing church, but they were a giving church. Because they loved the Lord, they wanted to give to the Lord's work. Because they loved the Lord, they wanted to give to one another. Now, when your grandchild or your child or your wife or your girlfriend, whatever the thing may be, whatever relationship that you have, when the special day comes, and by the way, fellas, there's a special day coming, isn't there? Yeah, on the 14th, February the 14th. Do you want me to send you a text message reminder? On that day, we have an opportunity to give gifts to those we love. We do that at Christmas. We do that at birthdays. We give gifts. Why do we give we give not because uh, they owe, we owe them something. We give because we love them. Do you, you want to know what the secret to a giving church is? It's just that we love the Lord Jesus. It's that we love one another. It's that we love those in our community and we're willing to impart to them out of what God has blessed us with. May God help us not to be selfish, but to be selfless. May God help us not to be takers, but to be givers. They chose to give. You see, the daily church was a growing church, and the daily church was a giving church. Let me give you the last thought here from verses 46 and 47. The daily church was a giving church, yes. It was a growing church, yes. But the daily church was a glowing church. It was a glowing church. Notice, if you would, please, in verse number 46. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. You see, the daily church was a glowing church. Just something about them. They weren't grumbling and complaining. (laughs) They didn't look like those characters on the Muppets who sat in the balcony. You remember those guys? They weren't always down in the mully grubs. They didn't look like pickles that had sit, soured, and soaked. No. No. They were full of the joy of Jesus. 
Now, that happened because, number one, they were growing. They were maturing as believers. It happened because they were giving. And as a result of that, hey, friend, they were glowing. And wherever they went, people were noticing. Look at these people. There's something different about them. They radiate. They shine. Remember when Moses came off the mountain? He had been with God. And the people couldn't look upon his face. His face was shining with the glory. Oh, when they beheld Stephen, they saw his face. They were getting ready to stone him. They saw his face as if it was the face of an angel. You know what will keep you sweet? Lester Roloff used to sing it. Keep in touch with Jesus. Many hearts are broken, often aching breast. Waits the message spoken. That will bring it rest. You perhaps can bring them joy and peace complete. Keep in touch with Jesus. He will keep you sweet. Some of us are just prone to sourness, aren't we? Sometimes I come home, my wife says, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I'm carrying the wrong message, aren't I? What's wrong with you? Nothing's wrong with me. Why do you ask me that? <laughs> That's not glowing, is it? No. As God's people, we need to glow. How do we glow? We get in touch with Jesus. Now, notice what they did. They continued daily. I like that. You see, they did not compartmentalize their, their Christian life to one day a week like so many have done. They recognize this is a daily thing. It touches every area of my life. There is no separation for the Christian between the secular and the sacred. It's all sacred. And so they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking a bread from house to house did eat their meat with what? Gladness. They were content. They were thankful. They were happy. They were blessed. The Bible said, let all that hath breath praise the Lord. When's the last time you just sit at your table with your family and you said, let's think about what God has done for us and let's give him glory for it? When's the last time that you in your office told somebody about how much Jesus has done for you? or on the factory floor, or in the grocery store. When is the last time we, we let somebody know that we have the joy of the Lord in our heart? When is the last time our faces shone with the glory of God? They did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Their motives were pure, praising God. Now notice what God did for them. He gave them favor with all the people. They said, man, this group has got something we don't something that we need. I want to ask you a question. When the world, when Hickory comes in contact with Tabernacle, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, and the days that follow, will they see that in us? Will they see that in us? And is that being seen in your home? Because the Bible tells me they did this from house to house. 
That means at home, doesn't it? The homes of the Tabernacle Baptist Church should be no less potent and powerful than the auditorium. There should be no more measure of the Spirit of God here than there is in your home. How is it in your home? McLaren said, is your house like that? Is your daily life like that? Do you bring the sacred and secular as close together as that? Are the dying words of your master, this doing remembrance of me, written by you over everything you do? And so is all life worship and all worship hope. Spurgeon said their own houses were houses of God and their own meals were so mixed and mingled with the Lord's Supper that to this day the most cautious student of the Bible cannot tell when they left off eating their common meals and when they began eating the supper to the Lord. They elevated their meals into diets for worship. They so consecrated everything with prayer and praise that all around them was holiness unto the Lord. I wish our houses were thus dedicated to the Lord so that we worship God all the day long and made our dwellings temples for the living God. No house beneath the sky is more holy than the place where a Christian lives, eats, drinks, sleeps, and praises the Lord in all that he does. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.